And I already noticed that when I was in IP practice uh, initially, that I was always more on the side of the startup or the company than the legal world. And, and for me, it was also just a, just a good a good experience to, to understand better how I can help this, these companies become successful, which has become my, my mantra. That's my guest on today's show, Clara Pombo. Clara is the Group Chief Institutional Relations Officer at Clarke Modet. Clara shares many interesting insights from her storied career so far, including how she got her start in IP and the importance of gaining in-house corporate experience in addition to building your practice inside an IP firm. She discusses how her desire to become an entrepreneur led to her decision to complete her MBA at MIT Sloan and the value of taking a two-year break to fully immerse in that experience. Clara shares her passion for technology and innovation and how that has guided her career path and business decisions. She also provides some valuable advice for young women who are starting their career in the IP profession today. I'm your host, Justin Simpson. I'm an Australian patent attorney and founder of BillTrader. Welcome to Talking IP, a podcast for IP professionals featuring conversations that take you inside the professional lives and careers of global IP leaders and entrepreneurs. I hope you enjoy the show. Clara Pombo, welcome to Talking IP. Thank you, Justin. Thank you so much for inviting me. Very excited to be here. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen each other, and uh, I, I love your jacket there. Uh, where, where's that from? Well, this is good of you to ask. This is a Spanish designer. They're called Extreme Collection, and they have great jackets. So, no, I'm sure we'll find one for you next time you come to Spain. It sounds like it sounds like a, a good idea. Uh, you're based in Madrid, are you? Yes. But you travel the world all the time. Are you going to be heading to the interconference in Singapore? Or have you got your team heading there in a few weeks' time? Yes, yes. We're all going there. We're very excited to be there and to be able to travel again after all these years uh, with the pandemic. So the whole team, we have a good representation of many of my colleagues from Latin America, and I will be there as well. So hope to see you. Hope to see you there. I'd love to see you. We certainly have a, have a team there, and we're just picking the booth uh, to try and be as close to your booth as possible. I remember when I first went to Inter with my previous business, Anovia, I didn't know what Inter was about. And I booked a, a booth and we had uh, little laminated posters and we had balloons. And then we saw Clark Modet with a giant stand. So you guys have always had a very impressive presence. <laughs> So we decided we had to we had to to make a bit a bit of an effort and 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 put some nice nice technology and innovation around the booth and it worked really well. Intel was always a, a very good good place for us. Well, it's a it's an impressive brand that you've uh, helped build over the years, and I'm getting the pronunciation right. Parque Modet. That's totally correct. That is exactly yes. Very good. And most people make the mistake of saying Clark Modet, but no, you've got to pronounce every every syllable. That's right. In Spanish, it's originally from a French, English background, but uh, it's 100% Spanish. The families who own the company are Spanish. So it's a, it's a Spanish, Latin American company, but the, the center is in Spain. So the headquarters and everything is in Spain. And uh, I, I've always sort of thought of Clark and Modet as sort of like Marx and Clark, that they've scattered around in different countries, but more the sort of Spanish Latin version. Is, is that fair? Or what's, what's the philosophy? What's your approach at Clark and Modet in, in the whole organization? Yes, well, that's still very much the approach uh, is to to be centered around the countries where we have full expertise, and that has been Spanish and Portuguese-speaking countries. So starting from Spain, it was just a natural transition to be the the door or the gateway to Latin America. So we we started opening initially in Venezuela, then Mexico, then Argentina. Those countries were completely booming around the 50s and 60s when we first started. 
And then, of course, uh, we moved to Brazil, Colombia, Peru. And right now we are present in 13 countries, in addition to Spain and, and Portugal. So the concept is we want to be the partner covering that part of, of the world, that, that region, which has, you no, know, it's extremely interesting, but also has its, its challenges. So we want to be able to translate that into a European language um, and, and, and try to be the, the partner who helps with the strategy accessing those countries. So that has been the, the idea and the spirit almost from the, from the beginning. And now we are continuing, we are continuing with, with that, that concept. It's a great strategy. Often people may have a little less confidence reaching out to someone in, in Mexico or in Venezuela, but they're, they're comfortable with someone in Spain. They know that there's sort of European standards. And so that's your the connection to the whole Latin world. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now let's let's have a look at your career, Clara Pombo. You uh, you started uh, in IP some time ago. I don't know how old you are, and it's rude to ask a lady, so I'm not going to. But when you started in IP, how did you get into IP or, or law in the first place? Yes, well, that's um, an interesting question. So I, I, I studied law in Spain, but I very, very soon I knew I wanted to have an international career. And so I spent some time in New York. And that's where I stumbled into Professor Hugh Hansen, who leads the, the IP conference in, at Fordham. And, um, and, and he made me have a real a great interest in, in technology and IP and mostly in the part that's related to patents. And, and that, that was sort of the, the center of, of starting because initially I was going to do more corporate law. And, um, and that's after doing that, I decided that that's what I wanted to do, that I wanted to be more involved in, in IP, uh, mainly because of the, all the opportunities around technology and innovation. That's what I found uh, interesting. And then I spent some time also uh, in-house in a, in a company. Uh, I decided, well, I need to, I need to try different things, uh, not only being in a, in a law firm or in an IP firm. I also want to be in the, in the other side, in the darker side. And that's when I spent some time in, in London at T-Mobile and in their you know, IP international content, global content uh, department. And that was also a great experience, not just to be be trying to translate a little bit between the engineers and the marketing and what we could and we couldn't do. It was a very exciting time because it was the beginning of content in mobile phones. So that was also quite interesting. T-Mobile, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old company. I can't even remember that. I, I lived in America for a while. It was a prominent com company over there. We don't have it in Australia, but uh, very, very big and very impressive company. So do you think that's a, a good thing for a practitioner to have, to have had some experience working in-house in a corporate sense? I think it is. I think it is in in any in any shape or form. I mean, you could be working in house formally, or you could be doing a secondment from your firm with one of your clients. But I think it helps you be more of a of a lawyer or an IP lawyer that that helps and becomes a partner to the company instead of always seeing what you're not allowed to do. <laughs> it makes you understand the technology, understand the content, and just uh, you know. Be more of a partner and not not the not the place where nobody wants to go and ask. And you're very close to the the technology and the people. I, I had an experience working a company in Australia called Silverbrook Research, which no no one's heard of. But Kia Silverbrook was a genius, and he has invented more things uh, than uh, Thomas Edison. He's the greatest uh, number one uh, in, inventor of all time. So being close and seeing that uh, was was a, a great experience for me when I was a young man. 
Yes, and then you have had also an incredible experience in, in creating your own company and then and then exiting and that's you no, know, I'm very impressed with your with your career as well. Uh, thank you, thank you, and it, it it gives you a whole different perspective uh, rather than just sort of drafting patterns all day, which is uh, uh, which ended up being not my thing. But uh, like you, uh, a bit more of a personality. So um, <laughs> you've done your uh, in house, you've done uh, some time in America, and then you decided you you went to uh, MIT to do a uh, an MBA. I mean, why did you go and do an MBA after so much business experience? This was in uh, two thousand and seven. Why did you Why did you do that? That's a really good question. So just going back to my to my previous comment on how important I found to to be in-house and be at a company. And then I also realized the many things I didn't know from my you know, my background studying law. I was missing. Um, I wanted to be more of an intrapreneur and I, I needed to get more skills and you know the perfect place to to do that nothing other than MIT. Now at MIT you have both the the engineers and the technology school, but you have also Sloan, which is where I went. Uh, and oh, there is a huge connection between the engineering and the and the business school. There's a 100K competition. I took part in that. And there's all these labs around MIT that are constantly being connected. And, and there I also got into quite a lot of... Um, uh, programs that uh, were working with the technology transfer office from MIT. So basically taking technologies from MIT, there was a class called iTeams with uh, Luis Perez Breva, <laughs> where you could you would have to take a technology from MIT, create a group and think about different ways to bring in these technologies to markets. And I, I loved it. I love the I love the the class. I love the discovering technologies and trying to you know, take them out of the lab and bring them to life. And um, then I started also getting a bit more involved in investing. And um, I, I am an LP with a, a venture capital firm there, Rhapsody Ventures, that basically does that, uh, takes you know, seed and pre-seed investments in technologies or startups or spin-offs uh, that take the technology mostly from MIT. And uh, that's where my other... Uh, part of my career started uh, basically as a as an investor in early in early technologies, and and I totally loved, hundred percent loved, MIT. It was you know, a great decision just to to take some time off, take two years off, and leave everything on hold. And I went there with with my family as well, with uh, two little kids, <laughs> and uh, and it was just incredible. It was just incredible. Meet new people, be influenced by. The energy of the place, the entrepreneurship center, the mass, mass challenge, the 100K competition, it was all all around. And of course, you also have Harvard uh, across the across the river with a few interesting people. So uh, it was just, just a, a great decision to stop. No, you always think, oh, I can't stop. I am so busy, I can't stop. But uh, for me, it was it was a really good decision also to think what are, what are the next things I, I want to do now. I'm very jealous. That sounds like a great experience. And uh, and I would have really enjoyed that combination of the technology and the business because so many people have an idea or have an invention, but making it a business and making it successful, they're completely different skills. Completely. And and of course, I always felt like I was, and I already noticed that when I was in IP practice uh, initially, that I was always more on the side of the startup or the company than the legal world. And and, and for me, it was also just a, just a good 
a good experience to to understand better how I can help these these companies become successful, which has become my my mantra. <laughs> now you mentioned the hundred k competition. I'm not sure what that is. Tell me about the hundred k competition and what what was your involvement? Yeah, so hundred k competition is uh, basically it's MIT student led competition where you mix both the engineers and the Sloan students, and the you create. Um, a startups or projects, really a very, very early stage. And they give you, uh, they give you different, different networking opportunities. Investors come in, corporations come in, they help you. You have all, all sorts of, um, all sorts of really good contacts to, to put on your, your presentation. And at the end, you, you, well, if you win, you, you, you are, given $100,000 to start your company, basically. Of real money, not just uh, poker chips. So. No, we made it into the top 10. So we didn't, we didn't win, of course, but just being there was, a, was an incredible experience. Oh, top, top 10 sounds like a great achievement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not surrounded by uh, any dummies in that class. So uh, well done. Oh, no, that sounds very exciting. Yes, and I think this is something that all universities should should put together. I don't know how it is in Australia, but in Spain, uh, we are number 10 in the world for science, for scientific knowledge and scientific papers. But we are bottom of the line for patents and really nowhere to be seen for spin-off technology, spin-off. So this combination, this type of networking events, such as the 100K competition, is something that should be encouraged uh, in different universities to make it's, it's all very public private funding so the, the, there is a lot of public financing to bring these technologies out of the of the universities so i i'm trying i'm trying in a way to to recreate this now in spain as well with the, with different projects you're going to bring the whole of spain with you in in the technology culture yes you're an ambitious person. That's very good. So let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Clark and Modet. Now, your your role there is uh, corporate director of IP strategy. I think you were uh, when we met was you were uh, in, in a sales role fairly early in the in the career. But you've been there for fourteen years. Why is it that you've uh, stayed at Clark and Modet for so long? What is it that excites you about the company? Yes, I I love that the company has uh, has dreams of becoming of of growing and becoming much a much bigger presence i like that um it's very focused as well in 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 diversifying in in getting close to technology and this digital transformation process that we're we're going through to basically be able to to grow um i think that's you know this this ambition has always attracted me and then moving into different roles uh, very being very close to clients in in different positions, uh, but always having the clients in mind and and trying to help them through their transition and through their also becoming uh, more international uh, and growing. That uh, that has been also something very very exciting, very attractive to me. And uh, in Australia, we have a challenge that uh, in in leadership roles uh, in a lot of Australia, it's a lot of men and. Uh, Spain has a bit of a culture of being a bit of a macho society. You've uh, clearly come to a, a very high position in Clark and Modet. Have you had any opposition along the way uh, as a woman? And, and how have you overcome those challenges? Uh, yeah, that's a very good question. 
Well, I haven't I haven't found huge challenges in um, in in Clark and Modet. What I have found is sometimes or, or often in meetings I was the only woman in the room, in particular, you know, with with some Japanese clients, with some German clients, with some also some situations in America, just because the the uh, the IP in house, in particular in the patent area, is is very male. Um, so I have found that that was the case, and sometimes I have had to be assertive, and in situations where um, I wasn't, my voice wasn't being heard. In particular, at the beginning of of my career, and um, had to be, you know, politically smart and assertive on the things that for me were important. Pick, pick, pick the battles, <laughs> and uh, and push those battles, and 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 the rest just continue with doing a good job and. And with trying to grow the the company and the clients, um, I try to not think too much about about that. And but one of the things that we started um, in in Spain and also at Clark and Modet is a mentorship program of women helping other women mm -hmm. in in different offices. So we've had a mentor from the Colombia office mentoring somebody from Brazil or cross uh, front lines, one from patents mentoring trademarks. And that has been extremely popular uh, for the now the younger generation uh, coming up because uh, there is a, a difference in also in what men or women get paid and there are a lot of unconscious bias uh, towards different positions and uh, there is a moment also in the career and in the life of a woman where you start having a family where sometimes um, you might think that you want to head back or you might decide that you want to head back and the, and the company has to help you decide what's best for you and give you options to work from home or to, well, to, to also consider you for a position of partner, even if you have just had a baby and things like that. So that has been, I think we've been making progress on that and we have made a conscious effort of having women not only at entry levels because at entry levels we're 50 50 or even sometimes 55 or 60 women versus men but then they drop once they get to higher positions and that needs a conscious effort it's not going to change from from alone and and so we've we've been, we've been trying to trying to do that and i think the pandemic has helped a lot in in moving away from this presentism or presentism culture of having to be there at seven or eight or nine in the evening where many men or women want to be with their family mm. and that um, now we are having three days at the office and two days at home and you can pick and choose how you do it and even if one day you need to be at home for different reasons there is to become very, much much more flexible around that and you can still make an eight o'clock phone call like i'm doing now in australia while you're at 10 o'clock in the in spain <laughs> So I would say that the, Spain has has is making progress uh, towards that. Um, what's happening in Spain, and I live that also through my mother's generation. My mother was an astrophysicist, and she was a scientist, and she was working quite a lot, but she was also working at home quite a lot. So what I think at the end we we were burning both sides of the stick, and Spain was you know very liberated, and all women were working, but you were also working at home, and and that's where. At you had two jobs. <laughs> we had two, two full-time jobs. And at some point, I look at the Nordics and Sweden and places like that where men take uh, maternity leave or paternity leave. 
and all those things, and I and I am envious of it. And I think Spain is is moving slowly, but towards towards that, towards that as well. Mm. So. Well, I don't know if you know my wife is from Finland. She's actually a, a patent attorney as well. I, I I think she's the prettiest patent attorney in the world. And uh, she said the same thing. Of course, the gender balance is much better there, and it's much easier to have. I mean, childcare costs two hundred dollars a month uh, there, and working hours is normally nine till four, which for both men and women gives you a bit more of a balance to life. Completely, completely. Well, congratulations on that. Congratulations on on having such a great wife. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'm very happy with that. Very happy with that. So you talked about your mother as an astrophysicist. So uh, back when she was working, uh, is that the time when people were heading to the moon for the first time? What sort of things was she working on? Yes, yeah, so she was working on. She was a PhD um, on. Uh, she was sending satellites to space, basically to do research on interstellar dust. So she was trying to discover more details about the Big Bang and what what was happening with some stars. And in particular, she did her thesis on a, a group of stars called the Blue Stragglers that should have exploded, but never did. And why did this happen? So she spent a long time trying to understand this group of stars. And in the meantime, doing a lot of interesting research on, on interstellar dust and the, the origin of everything. So not very much in the in, on science, not not too much um, take trans. I mean, transfer into, but but science are important, very important uh, for her. She loved it. She loved her career, and she she loved doing that. She sounds, she sounds very interesting and, and, and impressive. I, I went on a father-son camp with my son the other day and I could point out two stars. So if you went to the countryside with your mother, you'd be there for half an hour. <laughs> yes, completely. And I, I, have, uh, I have four daughters myself and one of them, the youngest, has always been very keen also on the stars and she was taken to where my mother was. She was working for the European Space Agency, so she was... Uh, my my daughter, since she was six, seven, eight years old, has been going there to 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 learn a bit more. So it has gone, you know, through one generation, and now hopefully my daughter will will continue with space travel and and whatever comes. That'll be wonderful. Whether she becomes a patent attorney or a astronaut or whatever, who knows? Whatever makes her happy. Now tell me, uh, uh, Fernando Pombo, was that your father? Yes. Yes, he was. And, and he, he's, he's passed, I understand, but there's a foundation that uh, he has uh, started or, or, or you've started. Tell me about the Fernando Pombo Foundation. Yes, so thank you for asking that. So my, the, my father and my sister, Carmen, started, it was my, my sister's idea, started the foundation about 10 years ago. And the concept of the foundation was to help with... Uh, to use the all the legal profession to help for the underprivileged, so they do pro bono work for uh, for for immigrants and for for people who have uh, lost their houses or for so they, that's one area that they do. So right to rights, they do also another area which is more technology technology and the law. They have used tokens so that companies that want to do uh, pro bono can measure what they do, and they've been working with a number of, of foundations, international foundations, to do that. They're very involved in that, and they also uh, work with uh, universities to 
to increase uh, the awareness of uh, pro bono and, and uh, this type of, of legal work. And it's actually one of the top reasons why students want to join Gomez Acebo y Pombo, it's the law firm, uh, is because they have this foundation. So it has been extremely, extremely popular. I think the Generation Z is looking at other things other than work. It's not just having a job. Is also having a job that connects with the purpose. So I'm very proud of what my sister has achieved because I am only in the board there supporting, but uh, this has been my my sister's job, really. And is it sort of originally your father was into pro bono work or he, he saw the need for using the law to, to do right? That's right. My father was the president of the IBA, the International Bar Association, and he started prior to that was in the in the legal profession, the legal committee who had to do with pro bono. And I think from that, from all those travels, he was in Afghanistan, in in Pakistan, in all these these countries that were where the rule of law was needing some help. And that's how it, I think that's how it all started. And then my sister has always been uh, has to always has this this passion and this purpose for for doing good. And the the skills that they had was the legal profession, and the legal profession can also be a, a major player. That sounds like a great great foundation. Now you you must be a busy lady because uh, apart from being involved in the foundation, apart from Clark and Modet, uh, you're also an advisory board member for a few uh, different companies, uh, Velka, Marcy Bionics. What do those companies do, and how did you get involved in those? Yes, so um, let's start with Marcy. Marcy Bionics um, is a a company that uh, was a spin-off from the university and they do exoesqueletes uh, for uh, spine, for bifid spine, for, for children. So these are children who can't walk and this is in, where they use uh, robotics to help them uh, move, which is uh, at the, until now it was an unmet a need with a rare, rare disease, an area with a lot of very, very little research. And this is a very impressive lady. She's the CEO, um, Elena Garcia, who, who worked for 20 years uh, doing research at the university. And then she said, I have to bring this to the market. And I got involved when they were already a spin-off. They were already with the first, uh, well, very, uh, the first product very close to the market. And I've been helping them or advising on, on how to you know, make, make progress, internationalize the, the company and grow. In fact, in Mexico has been one of the key growth markets for them. And, um, and now they're doing extremely well. So that, that's one. So it's always deep tech and it's always things that, are, that have to be connected to the, somehow to, to the university and to creating something that's going to help an unmet need or to help uh, the, with technology to help uh, different issues, in particular in the health or the energy. And the other one was Velka, which is, a, I'm also an investor there. And it, this is a company that does electric uh, transport, electric motorcycles, and uh, trying to you know, reduce the, the CO2 emissions. They are doing really well as well in, in Spain. And I'm involved in a number of others uh, using for example, one company called Reveal Genomics, they use artificial intelligence for precision oncology. They're from Barcelona. And the common thread on all of, on all of these uh, is that there is a women CEO. So I'm also investing in companies where the one of the founders 
ideally the CEO, but it could be the CSO, the chief scientific officer uh, is a woman. Why? Because they are not getting a lot of funding. <laughs> Someone has to help them. Someone has to help them. <laughs> But, uh, but they are extremely, extremely good with very good projects. And, um, and I think there is also an opportunity, economic opportunity to, to support this, these companies. And, and I believe in diversity anyway, wholeheartedly. So uh, if I'm investing, why not invest also in, in women-led or at least diverse founding teams? You've got to focus focus your money on certain things, and uh, these are these are your choices. So no no funding for Bill Trader. So, sorry to say, but next time <laughs> next time. There's always a, there's always exceptions to the rule, Justin. You know that. All right. Well, we'll talk later. But uh, you've achieved so much. You've you've uh, done a whole lot in your business career. You've gone and done studies. You're investing uh, in in some great companies now. What's left for you to do? What are you looking forward to in the future? I think um, we have a number of, of uh, interesting challenges now at Clark and Modet. Uh, one of them is diversifying also into IP tech and legal tech and becoming really a truly technological company, not just as uh, you know, offering services, but also uh, having products. And I think there's a very, very interesting challenge. The other uh, interesting area is the funding. We are also... Um, starting a new uh, new spin-off, really uh, working on helping companies access public funding and in particular now European funds and uh, different funds that are available for innovation. And this is something that is very aligned to what we do. We are helping companies have an IP strategy, but in order to have that IP strategy, they need to have the, the right funds. And sometimes private investing comes later. So um, that's an area that we just, in February, we just launched. Uh, so Clark and Modet will keep me quite busy, but I'm also, I think I would probably be more developing more this investment side, um, not, not necessarily as a, as a founder of a company, but, but as, a, as an investor, as a business angel or early stage investor in, in good companies. Uh, I've had a few, a couple of interesting exits now, and so I can use that to, to make other investments. That's uh, an area that I feel very passionate about, and it also helps me be connected to, to technology, to innovation, to new things that, that are coming. Uh, I mean, the, the topic of, of cancer, this revealed genomics uh, company, and the topic of uh, precision oncology. So we won't, probably won't uh, make cancer disappear, but we will make uh, we will be able to uh, to die to find the diagnostic much earlier, and then you'll be able to treat it or at an earlier stage. So you, you will die with cancer, but not of cancer. <laughs> cancer is a, a huge challenge, and if you're finding an innovative way that uh, to tackle that, is that's very admirable. Now, when you talk to sort of venture capital people and investors, uh, they often talk about that they'll invest in a whole lot of companies, but only one or two will be successful and the rest sort of, they lose money, but they make up for it on the ones that they choose. How do you choose a company that you're going to invest and be in, involved in? So one of the, well, we have, I have a lot of deal flow from Clark and Modet because many of the companies that we are advising, they're already at a, at a, at a level very, very close to, to bring in a product into the market. And so 
they come and we help them with drafting their patents and getting uh, good IP strategy in place. So that that would be one source. But I also, when I came back from MIT, I started, a, I founded a, a chapter of the MIT Enterprise Forum in Spain. And what we do there is we do once a year, and this has been going on also now for 10 years, we put together venture capitalists, private investors, and we select 50 deep tech startups coming from universities, technological centers, and we put them together in a sort of speed dating event. <laughs> Hopefully you can come yep. one day. <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah, uh, in the foundation. And um, and that through that, I've had incredible deal flow from all, all over Spain because the focus for me is, is Spain. I have the 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 MIT uh, the Boston connection and and there I don't select any of the startups I'm just an LP but here in Spain I I select them basically from through this process it's like a uh, well 500 apply and at the end we select 50 and of those 50 maybe only five or six would be we have all the requirements that I that I'm looking for <laughs> and sometimes I invest in one or two um, and and so and far. Yeah, so far, exactly this, you invest in eight and you hope that one or two will be successful. So far, so far I've had one that's been very successful. And let's see, the others are, are still are still alive and kicking. So let's see what happens. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. I, I didn't know until after I'd sold Anovia that the, the our first investor said, we looked at a thousand companies, we invested in 13 and Anovia was the best of those. So I, I felt very good at that point, uh, but I, I needed to repeat the uh, exercise. And so Bill Trader is is coming along. We'll see where we end up, but uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's yeah. It's, uh... No, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear more about Bill Trader for sure in a, you know, in a different discussion uh, whenever you have time. Well, we, we have a team at Inter. Go and stop by the booth and they won't let you leave. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I'll, I'll make a point of of definitely visiting the booth, yes. Please do. Have an excuse to leave so they don't keep you for too long. But uh, um, I want you to have a look, uh, have a think back to when you just started your career and uh, think about a, a young woman entering the profession today. Do you have any advice that you would have for her, a young woman entering the profession today uh, with the hindsight that you have? Yes, well, I definitely say try to get some experience uh, in-house and Spend some time in one of the in the, one of your clients. So after a couple of years, if you have some area or some technology or some client that you like, try to spend some time there. I think that that's been very very helpful. Um, secondly, find a mentor. Even if your company doesn't have one, find a, a mentor, a person you can talk to that that has achieved what you want to to achieve, and make a plan. Make a plan. Make a plan. Um, Decide you know, if if you want to travel. Also, try to become your own your own brand. Uh, try to grow your own your own set of skills. So even if you don't every year change uh, your role, try to expand your role in terms of maybe countries or instead in terms of um, uh, sectors that you're working on, so that you can be a person that um, that is very that is that is very global and that is that has a lot of uh, different skills and finally get connected with groups such as the um, IP women in IP um, that uh, are almost in every country we're launching one in Spain in fact uh, this year and um, and and do a lot of networking if you can so work on your personal brand 
make sure that you communicate uh, to, to your network the type of things that you do. Work on that from the beginning as well. Not, not too much, but, but point it to the topics that you want to achieve. Um, so work on your personal brand, find a mentor, network, 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 uh, and, and have a plan. And it doesn't matter if it goes, if it goes in different directions. You know, sometimes it's, it's also okay to take some time off to go back to study or try something else. I, I am very much a, a fan of, of a continuous education. I think you can, you should always be um, open to learn different things. I didn't know anything about artificial intelligence and now I'm learning uh, quite a lot. Yeah, well, you have to get to you together with uh, Justin Gallagher, who uh, started the Equinox IP management system, because he's he's got some robotics and helping people on the side. So you, you'd have a lot to talk about, the two of you. Thank you. Yeah, that sounds great. Sounds fantastic. And I, I like that advice about having a plan. I mean, yes, things don't go according to plan, especially as an entrepreneur. Uh, I start with plan A and then go to plan C and plan D. But uh I think if you don't have a plan for your career, then you're, you're never going to get where you want to get. And you'll find out one day that, well, why am I not where I want to be? Well, you didn't have a plan. At least if you have a plan, you can head in that direction. Yes, that's, that's yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to talk for a little while about COVID. I know at the start of COVID, Spain was in the headlines as being hit very hard in the early days. I don't know. Uh, I don't actually know what the answer to this question is going to be, but how did it impact you personally and how did it impact uh, on the Cloud Care Mondet? Yes. Well, COVID Spain uh, was exactly one of the countries that uh, put in place the most stringent uh, measures. We were at home, literally at home, without being able to even go for walks for a few months, maybe two or three months. Um, but then thankfully the schools started um, started being open so the, the children could go to school because one of the problems was also that they couldn't take the kids from school. And there were some uh, issues as well with the old people's homes where it was decided that if you were in an old people's home for the beginning of the period that you couldn't go to the hospital or you couldn't receive treatment. And that was really, that was terrible. Um, but um, after after that period, I think Spain handled it uh, quite well, and um, and in particular some some areas such as Madrid, where we have a different government to the to our to our main government, they decided that Madrid was going to be the party place of of, of Europe, <laughs> and they opened, and you were able to sit outside, you were able to so they had very. The, we have uh, the president of the Madrid community decided that she wanted to help the local bars and restaurants. And uh, anyway, that that also created a bit of a stir. But but it did it did it was a bet that helped. Uh, then we had the the vaccines, and thank thankfully things uh, things went much better from from that point. And Spain is very a, a, a local economy. Even if I'm trying to change that one startup at a time. <laughs> but the local economy is very much about tourism and travel, and uh, and that was extremely hit, and and now it's 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 going really well. So now we are at levels of 2019, and uh, what I'm hoping is that there are more funds. Uh, having gone through this period of uh, needing to have pharma and and health companies take us out of that situation, I think. Also, the government has realized that we need to invest in science. 
there, there isn't. I mean, a, a Facebook or, or even some other uh, startups are not going to help us uh, when something like this happens. So I think, I think that's, that has had that positive effect in, in terms of, uh, of putting scientists and, and researchers where they need to be. Um, for me personally, I was able to spend a lot more time with my family uh, and, and that was wonderful. And I, I literally stopped traveling for some time, which which uh, was was a bit difficult for me because I, I, I like to move move around and, and be <laughs> <laughs> Work the like room. you. And so it had it had its challenges, but but I loved I love spending. I don't think I had done that in the in the past five years or ten years. And I spent a lot more time with my children, and with my husband, and who's German. Husband is German, and he's wonderful. And he moved to Spain, and now he's he's in in private equity. And so he did. We did sometimes sometimes spend in, in Munich, and he was commuting. So we we lived some time in Munich. And then we moved back to Spain and, and now he's here. So that, that was a period where he was here as well. He was not traveling to Germany most of the time. So as a family, I think it was uh, it was a nice, a nice uh, thing. And as a company, we had we had to move home very quickly. Uh, but we had thankfully done in our homework a few the, the year before. So we were we were well prepared to to do everything from home. And we realized we could do so much. Um, so many meetings and so many things could happen online. Uh, and before you would always take a plane just to have that meeting. And now you could do that and everybody would understand. So I think that those were the the positive things of COVID. And I think the negatives, of course, is always a human touch. I you just need to talk to people. You just need the younger, the younger people who we were hiring, they didn't know anybody, mm. they were at home. So uh, we 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 made a point of making sure that everybody was was well, and we took care of you know mental health issues because some not everybody lives with a family. Some people were living on their own in a small apartment, and and they just had to deal with the situation. So yeah, yes. Uh, what about you? How was how was it? How was it for you? Uh, well, I, I've been working from home since 2018, so uh, the working from home didn't change much for me. Uh, and uh, Australia was uh, we, were, we were doing quite well for a, a while. We sort of uh, did a lot of lockdowns. I think Melbourne was one of the most locked down cities, uh, so they had a bit of a tough time. But I was locked down where I live in Sydney. It's a little bit like uh, the Hamptons of New York. Uh, we live in the northern beaches, and so. Uh, when we were locked down, we could still go to the beach, uh, and the weather was still good, and so we spent more time in the park with the family. So, for us personally, it actually wasn't so bad. That's nice. Yes, I heard Australia and New Zealand. They were you were very very isolated. Nobody could go in and out for a long time. No, it's a it's a long way via via a, a rowboat to get here. So uh, the we shut down the planes, and so no one no one could come into the country. So now, now we have the problem that uh, we need people to come back to the country because uh, we've got uh, we've got jobs that need to be filled. So uh, please come to Australia, anyone who's listening. We will we will say that we will say that in Spain. I think Spain has a lot of people with good skills and um, also a lot of good engineers, a lot of people with just great skills. And and for them, spending some time abroad. By the way, that would have been my other 
my other recommendation for a person starting, try to spend some time abroad, work, work internationally, because that's going to make you a lot more employable, I think. And I think it gives you a different perspective on life. If you've only lived in your country, uh, you, you find, I guess, in the IP world, you find when you're meeting all sorts of people from around the world, the people are the same everywhere. You find someone who you can relate to in Germany or Japan or in America, and the world becomes a, a closer place, I think. Absolutely. That's why I'm really excited about going to Singapore again this year with Intan, traveling a bit also to to the US for the IP Owners Association now in Washington and Fordham, Fordham IP conference in April. I haven't been, well, it had, there hasn't been a conference since the pandemic. So uh, that's also another great opportunity to meet with judges and with uh, Judge Rabinsky will be there and and with friends and colleagues from the different parts of the of the industry. So I'm excited to start again. I don't know whether people are allowed to hug each other anymore, but you'll feel like hugging people who you haven't seen in two years. <laughs> For sure. In Spain, we are very much, we're very huggers. We love hugging. We love hugging. We love kissing. And uh, you, can, you can imagine with the German culture, sometimes people, people <laughs> are very surprised. <laughs> I don't quite get that. Yes, my my sister-in-law lives in Munich. We've been there many times. So uh, yes, it's a different kind of culture. But uh, anyone who's listening, uh, make sure when you go to Inter, drop by uh, the Clark Cremodet uh, booth and see Clara Pombo. So Clara, thank you very much for joining Talk EIP. Uh, good luck in Singapore. Good luck with the year. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Justin. Thank you so much for inviting me and for this podcast. Look forward to seeing you as well. So thank you. It was lovely. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for our latest episode of Talking IP, and thanks to my guest, Clara Pombo. Thank you for joining us, and please reach out to connect with me on LinkedIn, where we'll share updates on the release of each episode. Talking IP is brought to you by BillTrader, a fintech solution for IP firms designed to solve the challenges of making and receiving payments to and from your foreign agents. To learn more, visit BillTrader.com.